this morning and tonight, and um, I just uh, thank the Lord for Brother Souza, his wife, and family, and um, I was thinking about it, did a little research, and um, when I, uh, again, became pastor, um, had Brother Souza come and do a faith promise missions meeting for us. And uh, look back, and uh, we sent out Brother Harris and our annual faith promise um, budget then was just under thirty thousand, and um, he began every other year preached our faith promise, and um, I just uh, a lot of what God has built us in our missions program and our giving and what God has done is built on the foundation of what Brother Sousa was able to give to us through the Word of God, through preaching the Word of God. And he preached the Word of God. And, uh, and to God be the glory, there are now six missionaries sent out of our church, uh, along with those that we support. And, um, and our, last year we gave just over $100,000 to missions. And I don't say that to brag, I just say to give God the glory. And that there has been a consistent increase, and uh, that is what Brother Susan started challenging us to do, what was that, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, uh, and uh, thank the Lord, and I love him, and I'm very thankful for him, he has helped me, he's been a friend to our church, and has challenged us, and uh, has only been a blessing, and I know today is going to be a blessing too, so Brother Sousa, welcome back to Gazada, we got a bigger pulpit for you, and... Uh, I, I don't think it's much taller, so we should be great. All right, amen. All right. Welcome back, brother. Welcome thank you. Much. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to believe it's 23 years ago that I first stepped foot into your church. And there seemed to be, by the Spirit of God, an immediate bondage of my heart to you. I don't know what it was, but it has not diminished over the years. And I do not take it lightly to be here today by invitation of your pastor. It's a great and awesome responsibility. Because I realize that one day I'm going to stand before Almighty God and I'm going to give an account of this moment. I will stand before him. And quite frankly, that frightens me. It's an awesome responsibility to preach the word of God. It's not a job. It's not a career. It has to be a calling of God. And unfortunately, in today's world, we do not see many committed men going into the ministry. I thank God for those. They had called out of this church into the mission field of the world. It's not always that way. A short time ago, I was preaching in a Bible college. I won't say where. It's not necessary. I met a young man that was graduating that year, senior, and he was in the pastoral studies. So you meet a young man graduating from college, your first question obviously would be what? What are you going to do after graduation? He paused and looked at me, and I'll never forget this statement. He said, well, I'm thinking of entering the ministry if I can make a living out of it. I said, go sell insurance. God didn't call you. And I thank God for men like your pastor 
and his dad, who first invited me to the church, touched my heart in such a great way to see their dedication, their determination of fixing their eyes on Jesus and never letting go. And I thank God for churches like this. Choir, I'll tell you something. You outdid yourself this morning. I've heard you sing some great time, but man, that was just just utterly fantastic. It touched my heart. Just think, 10,000 years with Jesus, nothing. Nothing at all. Before I get to preaching, tonight I want to give you just a real quick rundown, a quick rundown of where we've been this last couple of years and what God has brought us through. I'm glad that God has seen us through some perilous times. But I just want to make mention this morning of something because it can be embarrassing to me. I have been diagnosed diagnosed with uh, macular degeneration. Some of you know what that might mean and it might affect different people different ways. But for me, when you see a line that's horizontal like this I see it like this or sometimes like this and sometimes when I get to read in the scriptures if I favor this eye which has the disease all of a sudden I'm reading if that happens please excuse me (laughs) it certainly is not intentional but uh, sometimes I just have to read a little slower pay a little more attention to where I am and God sees me through. But it is such a joy to see you folks again. And meet some new folks as well. And my, the wonderfulness all the time, the change that you have made and everything. Just utterly fantastic. And I'm glad that God's hand of blessing has been upon you. But let's turn to Second Corinthians, if you will, please, in your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter number 4. Now, I don't have to convince you that the world is a mess. I don't have to convince you that there's violence and hatred and anger. Do you ever notice everybody's mad today? Everybody's mad. Everybody's marching and protesting and burning and shouting. Everybody's mad. And it seems like the more they get, the more unsatisfied they are. And the world just keeps digging itself into a deeper hole. And, you know, they don't know what to do. And it kind of reminds me, and I don't know if I ever told you the story now about that pastor that was feeling great anxiety in the ministry. Went to the doctor. The doctor says, do you have a hobby? He said, uh, no, I don't. He says, well, why don't you get a hobby to kind of, you know, relax yourself, get your mind off things, and something you enjoy, and something that just gives you some relaxation. So he took up golf. Yeah, and he got himself some golf clubs and golf bags and some golf balls and tees and everything else that you need and heads out to the golf course. And he tees up that ball and he hits that ball and that ball goes down that fairway and lands right in the middle of a sand trap. In the sand trap, there happened to be an anthill. And there's that ball sitting right there on the anthill takes out his sand wedge, lines everything up, takes a whack, boom, sand goes flying everywhere, and the ball's still sitting there. <laughs> Took out about a dozen ants with him. 
And he lines that thing up again, and he gives that thing a big old whack. More sand go flying, more ants go up, taken out. Ball still sitting there. Now he's really frustrated. And with all of it, he starts swinging and swinging and swinging. And man, sand going everywhere, ants flying all over. And the ball still sitting there. Finally, only two ants left. <laughs> One ant said to the other ant, if we're going to get out of this thing alive, we better get on the ball. <laughs> and I tell you today, if you're going to get out of this old world life, we better get on the ball for God. And there's no time to play church. There's no time to play Christian. Now, I realize today that the ministry of the evangelist is much different than that of a pastor. I've been a pastor for 12 wonderful years. Never thought I would really leave it until God's calling came on my life. In the last 41 years, I've been an evangelist, and there's a big difference in both those ministries. They're not in competition, but complementary to each other. As the scripture tells us, he gave some evangelists and then all the others and, 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 and pastors and teachers as well. And I realized the pastor's responsibility, not my job to run the church, not my job to straighten out the pastor. It's not my job to tell him how to do it. That is not my responsibility. That's between him and God and the Holy Ghost. The ministry of an evangelist, as I see it, is like the Old Testament prophets. Break up the follow ground. Ground that was once fertile, ground that once produced great harvests, sat there and needs to be broken up once more so that good seed falls on good soil to produce good fruit for God. The ministry of an evangelist isn't to edify, to teach as much as to provoke. If you have a, a fireplace or perhaps a wood stove, and after a while, and I love sitting in front of a fireplace, we don't have one, but I sit in front of a fireplace on a cold, chilly day, and nice and warm by that fire. That old fire is sitting there. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And you sit there and you get all nice and warm and pretty soon this side is done and you got to turn around and let this side get done. But after a while, what happens? That flame begins to go down. And what do you do? You go over and you take the, that poker thing and you get that poker thing and you start, you poke that thing right. And what happens? That is how I see somewhat the ministry of an evangelist, to poke you. I'm going to poke you as best I can today. Not teach you any great revelation. Not to reveal the Antichrist. Not to stir your imagination. But rather to warm your hearts once more towards God. I don't know about you. But sometimes it's so easy, I find myself drifting away into the world. And we need to be brought back. With that in mind, we read our text of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, 
It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Ten or eleven years old. My mama came to me and said, Danny, I want you to go upstairs. I want you to change your clothes because we're going to go shopping downtown. Now, that's before there were malls and plazas. When you went shopping, you went downtown to go shopping. And when you went shopping downtown, you got dressed up. I mean, you didn't go down in old cutoffs and blue jeans. I mean, you took pride in how you looked when you went shopping downtown. We got in the automobile and Mama drove the seven or so miles from our home to downtown Waterbury, Connecticut. She parked the car and, and a lot, and then we had to walk between two very, very tall buildings. It was a bright, beautiful sunshine day. Not a cloud in the sky. Warm day. We walked in the shadow of those tall buildings. But when we got out of the shadow of those buildings, and stepped into the brightness of the sun, it was a blinding experience. That ever happened to you? Sometime all of a sudden, say, oh, the sun was so bright, it just, it just about blinds you, doesn't it? And I squinted my eyes, and it almost hurt as I saw the reflection of the brightness of that sun off the white sidewalk and the mirrored glass of the downtown stores. We turned the corner, and there I saw a sight that's as vivid in my mind today as the day that it happened. There was a man standing there. He had very, very dark sunglasses on. In one hand, he had a little tin cup. There were a few coins in that cup. And he would take that cup, and he would rattle that cup to get the attention of those that were walking by. In his other hand, he had a long white cane, had a metal tip at the end and he would stand there and he would tap the pavement with the cane rattle the cup as we got closer to him mama stopped opened her purse and to put a few coins in his cup as I stood there looking at him I saw a sign that was around his neck piece of cardboard yarn around his neck, holding it up, and with a childlike crayon 
a message. As Mama stood there to give him that money, I looked and I read the message, which was striking. It said, the sun is shining, but I am blind. And I thought about him. Here he was standing in the same brightness of sunlight that I was, but he couldn't see it. The same sun that just about blinded me to him meant nothing. Surely he could feel the warmth of the sun upon him. But to him, it was nighttime all the time. And I began to think what his life might have been like. When he woke up in the morning, it was as dark as when he went to bed that night. He'd never wake up and say, what a beautiful morning. Meant nothing to him. Never look upon the beautiful field of God's creation of flowers and see its beauty. Perhaps smell its scent, but miss the beauty. Never looking at a beautiful sunrise or a sunset when God paints the sky with a million pastel colors. He was blind to it all. And I began thinking about blindness through the years. And I begin to see there's another blindness. A blindness not of the eyes, which we're familiar with, but a blinding of the mind. Across our churches today, being Memorial Day, I'm sure many will have patriotic services and sing patriotic songs. One of my favorite, of course, is America the Beautiful. And the phrase, God shed his grace on them. And I wonder how many are blind to the goodness of America. I know it's wrong. Believe me, I know there's a lot of sin in our nation. I know there's a lot of evil. I understand that. But when I look back to those men and women who down through the centuries believed in liberty and freedom and justice because of the word of God, I still see a lot of good. Recently, Brittany Grenier, if you're familiar with that name, was just released from a Russian prison. She was playing basketball over there, an American team, and they found drugs on her that was illegal. She was sentenced to nine and a half years to prison. Through negotiation of ambassadors and, and all of our government, she was released. She came back to America with a new appreciation of what was here. Before they would play a basketball game, they would play the national anthem. And they showed some clips of her. And there's playing, and she's looking around. The national anthem's playing, being sung, and she's looking around and just. When she came back, the first game, camera was focused on her. And when she came back, and they 
started playing that grand old national anthem. She put her hand on her heart and she bowed her head. How many are blind to that? But yet I want to go on this morning and see another blindness here. As the scripture says here, but if our gospel be hid in verse 3, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, meaning the devil, had blinded the minds of them which believe. Not the eyes, but the mind of them that believe not. Because the mind is the key and the gateway to understanding. That's why a scientist can look out and with his eyes see the vastness of the universe. But his mind blinds him to the creator. I could never understand how somebody could hold a newborn baby. And look at the miracle of life and saying, just an evolutionary process. Just a biological product with no plan and no purpose. That's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's not just what we see but and hear, but what we think. Is it possible today that the devil, the God of this world, had blinded the minds of God's people? Is it possible today for us to be blinded by the... Let me submit a few things today that saved and unsaved alike, blinded by the devil. I think, first of all, as I look at the scriptures and I see them, I think, first of all, the devil blinds men to the goodness of God. You ever notice God gets blamed for all the bad stuff? Hurricanes, tornadoes, act of God. <laughs> you know, flood, act of God. You know, people always say to me, they say, if God is so good and God is so loving, why does he allow all these diseases? Why doesn't he just take it away? And they forgot one important fact, that God made you and God made me with a free will to do what's right or to do what's wrong and suffer the consequences either way. But the devil doesn't want you to see how good God has been to you. And we'll look at a Bible reference here. And there's a good biblical reason why the devil doesn't want you. You just see the goodness of God. You know, the devil loves complainers. You know, some people always complain no matter it's too hot, it's too cold. You know, the, the preacher, you know, he preached too long, he preached too short, he's too shallow, he's too deep, he's too loud, he's too soft. You know, and people just find something always to complain about. Like that guy wanted his wife to make some eggs and she made them. He said, I want two eggs, I want one fried and one scrambled. And sure enough, she scrambled one and fried one, gave it to him. He says, you scrambled the wrong egg. <laughs> There are some people you're just not going to satisfy. You say, well, preach, I'm a little warm here. Whoever's controlling the air conditioning can just write down where they are right there and make them could be a little cool. Don't work that way. But there are some people, no matter what, complain, 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 and the devil loves it. Romans chapter number 2, why is it that the devil doesn't want you to see the goodness of God? The book of Romans, the second chapter, and find your way down to verse number four. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. When I see how good God's been good to me, and when I see how good God has blessed me, all of a sudden I realize I don't deserve this. Sometimes people ask me, Brother Susan, 
how you doing? I said, better than I deserve. Isn't that the truth? Not like that one woman I heard tell the preacher. She said, preacher, just leave me alone. All I want when I die is what I deserve. Do you want what you deserve? Is that what you want? You want the pain? You want the sufferings? You want the wages of your sin? Is that really what you Not me. When I die, I don't want fairness. I don't want justice. What I want is mercy, love, grace, forgiveness. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And I wonder, have we seen how good God's been to you? It's so easy to take things for granted, isn't it? You come to church, okay, church again. You walk in, sit down, service, over. You, go. you tend to take things for granted sometimes. And we forgot the price that was paid for you and for me. One of the marks of the heathen in Romans chapter 1, it says, neither were they thankful. Right at the beginning of the list. And I wonder today as God's people, can we stop for a moment today and say, God, you've been good to me. Now, God's been good to this church. God's been good. Now, when I say God's been I don't mean he's been good to this pulpit, as beautiful as it is. I don't mean God's been good to the organ over there and the beautiful piano over there and the fine car. That is not the church. You know what the church is. I don't have to tell you that. You are the church. What you are, that's what the church is. When God blesses you, the church is blessed because you're the church. How long has it been? Just how long has it been? When in a church service... And I don't know how you do it normally, but, but in a church service, you would come to an altar and thank God for his goodness. We've got a lot to complain about. I understand that. man invited me to his home one day, and I got to his house. He had fancy automobiles in the driveway, and I got to the house. Beautiful, beautiful home. Looked in the kitchen and all kinds of modern devices. I looked at beautiful imported tapestries and tables and all. I talked with him for a while. And finally, I brought the conversation around to spiritual things. And he stopped me and said, Preacher, I want you to know God ain't never done nothing for me. I couldn't go any further with him. I left with a broken heart. He said, you know what? I'm going to make some calls on some bus kids' families. And we got a little town in Connecticut called Terryville. I mean, it's a real small town. It's so small, it says Terryville on both sides of the sign. <laughs> when I drove to that rich man's house, there was a long, windy driveway. There were gardens. There were fountains. There was figurines. Beautiful. When I drove to this house in Terryville, dirt driveway, rutted, you had to be careful because of rocks sticking out. Got to the opening and there was a tricycle that only had two wheels. One of the back wheels were gone. There was a wagon, a little red wagon, but the front wheels were off on the wagon. I got up to the porch and the railing was rickety and the stairs I don't know if I trusted them or not. 
When I got on the porch, I saw duct tape on the cracks of the windows. Dirty fingerprints all around the door. <laughs> Broken screen. I knocked, and a lady came to the door. She, oh, Brother Susan, did the bus kids come out too? And they come out and hugged me, and I was glad to see them. And she said, Brother Susan, listen, I just made some chocolate chip cookies. Would you like some? Now, folks, I know God's leading when I see it. I went in the house, and the table had a broken leg, and they had books underneath it to hold up that corner of the table. The chair had an arm broken off. The carpet was threadbare. And she came out with a paper plate, not the fine china I saw in the other lady's house, with three chocolate chip cookies on it. She placed them in front of me. She says, I have some lemonade. Would you like some? I said, that would be nice. And she come out with a little plastic cup, like a Ronald McDonald cup that you'd get with a Happy Meal or something. Not the fine crystal that the other lady had. She put it down in front of me. And she said, Brother Susan, would you return thanks? God has been so good to me. What would it take for us to recognize the goodness of God in our life? I don't mean just up here to say, yeah, God's good to me. God. I mean with a heartfelt conviction that I owe God. I don't deserve any of this. The devil doesn't want you to see how good God's been to you. He wants you to come, oh, I like the old pews better. I like the, carpet, the old carpet better. I like this and I like that. We need to stop our complaining and be thankful for what we have. And in a nation that has been blessed by any other nation in the world, we have so much to be thankful for. And yet we find ourselves grumbling and complaining. Don't let the devil blind you to how good God's been to you. Thank God he has blessed you abundantly. But secondly and quickly, the devil blinds men as to their true spiritual condition. Matthew chapter number 23 you know the devil doesn't want you to see your true spiritual condition today he really doesn't Matthew chapter 23 Jesus is saying in verse number 25 one to your scribes Pharisees hypocrites for you are like clean the outside of the cup and of the platter but within they are full of extortion and excess thou blind Pharisee Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are likened unto whitened sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, but, but are within full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so do ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I look at you folks today. God bless you. Y'all, you come to church, dress so nice, have your Bibles, prettied up yourself. You come, presented yourself. But the most important thing is not how you appear to me. Well, how do you appear to God? 
who sees beyond the fleshly outward into the depths of our heart and soul. Do we really see ourselves the way God sees us? Okay, we can say, well, listen, I, you know, preacher, I'm not, that, I'm not that bad. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm not perfect. Do you, but do you really see the wretchedness of your humanity? Uh, Paul, the great apostle, started churches, won souls, established so many things for God. What does he say? Oh, wretched man that I am. You say, well, now, I, 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 God didn't deliver me from drugs, never on them. God didn't d- deliver me from alcohol, never drank it. God didn't d- deliver me from nicotine, never smoked it. But the sins that I have would have brought me to the same hell as those that do that. For in God's eyes, there's no difference in sin. You might say, well, I'm not too bad. I'm a whole lot better than I was. And thank God we can say that. But yet, we still fall short. And the devil doesn't want you to seek those areas of your life that are weak, the areas of your life that are frail and fragile. He doesn't want you to see your true spiritual condition. Once in a while, I get a true glimpse of myself, and I see parts of me that I don't like. I see parts of me that maybe nobody else is aware of. But they're there. The devil blinds me. He wants me to be blind to those things so I can keep on doing them. But as we sang earlier in our service, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb to wash away that sin and that iniquity. We could all look good compared to someone else, can't we? When I was in the Philippines, I preached at the Blue Ridge Baptist Church in Quezon City. And uh, the pastor of the church, to have a picture of him, we're standing together, and the pastor of that Philippine, the top of his head comes right here to me. I loved his pulpit. (laughs) Back here, you wouldn't wouldn't see him at all. (laughs) I'm showing pictures to my family when I got back from that trip, and we had established several uh, mission churches out there and left Filipino pastors in charge of them to to build them up because we took some college graduates from the Filipino Bible School and brought them with us, and we left them. We went some people to the Lord, and we left them there to carry on a church. Showing my family all these pictures, and we come to that one, and there I am with this brother right here. One of my sons grabs that picture out of my hand and says, Wow, Dad, you look tall. (laughs) I was going to blow that thing up life-size, you know. (laughs) And I was tall compared to him. But I stand, some, some of you guys... I ain't so tall. Stand next to Jesus and tell me there's nothing wrong in your life. Stand next to Jesus and say, there's nothing you can accuse me of. And don't take the slightest sin lightly. But let's go on. Yes, the devil will blind you to the goodness of God because it will bring you to repentance. 
He blinds you to your true spiritual condition so you can continue on the way you are. But thirdly, the devil blinds men as to the, to the way of salvation. Matthew chapter number 7. Verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Let's make it clear. I know you believe it, but let's make it clear again in our hearts and in our minds. There is only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Old Testament looking forward, or New Testament looking back. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. He said, I am that door. I didn't say I'm one of many. I am the door. And in person ever gets to heaven, you better come through Jesus or you're not going to make it. You could be religious all you want in your life, but without Jesus, you'll never enter into glory. I had a woman tell me one time, well, I belong to this denomination because there's more of them than anyone else. So I figured they're right. What did Jesus say? There's a broad way that leads to hell. And many there be that go in thereat. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And few there be that find it. There's only one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. And every Baptist, every Presbyterian, every Methodist, uh, every, every Muslim, every Jew, every Buddhist, ever will one day bow before Jesus Christ. And will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's only one way. And that way is Jesus Christ. I uh, heard a story about a, a nightclub in Chicago. Get this. The name of the nightclub was called the Gates of Hell. If you weren't in Sunday school this morning, shame on you. That was a great lesson, let me tell you. I really enjoyed it. Now, sometimes when I'm in a church and, and a pastor says, well, we have somebody that, that'll teach Sunday school. Well, that's, that's fine. No problem at all. He says, so you don't have to come until 11 o'clock service. I says, no way. How am I going to tell people in the church, you be faithful to God and do it, and, and then me skip out on Sunday school? I make sure I'm there. And boy, I'm glad I was this morning. Let me tell you something. That lesson, I mean, it was so vivid. It was so good. I mean, whew, I you could, he could teach that lesson five times over, and I'd still get something new out of it. It was such, such, such a blessing. you know. But uh, uh, this nightclub was called The Gates of Hell. And... Uh, a tourist was, and it was known for drunkenness, debauchery, immorality. And the visitor wanted to go see this famous nightclub. Couldn't find it. Drove around a little bit, and finally he asked somebody on the street, Hey, buddy, can you tell me how I can get to the Gates of Hell nightclub? He said, Sure, you're not far from it. Just go down two traffic lights, take a left. You're going to come to Calvary Church. Go right by Calvary. You'll come to the Gates of Hell. You can't miss it. What a sermon. What a sermon. Go the way of baptism, you end up in the gates of hell. Go by church membership, you end up in the gates of hell. Go by way of confirmation, go by way of religion, 
good works, you end up in the gates of But stop at Calvary. And there, surrender to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings who loved you and died in your place and wants you to spend an eternity with him. I don't know if someone's here this morning that you've come and you're not sure of your salvation. You're sure of it? You got it? I'm not going to put a doubt in your mind. But if you have any doubts in your mind today, I beg you, you take a quick step at Calvary and bow before Jesus and come before him and realize that it's not by saying a little prayer. I'll tell you, sometimes people think you just, how, how you saved? Yeah, how did you get saved? Well, I said a prayer one time in church. Nobody ever got saved by praying. When the Philippian jailer came in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, Oh, repeat after me. And blah, 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 blah. Well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. You can make a confession, but if it's not in the heart, it's nothing but words. And there's nothing magical to come to an and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Now, I understand what we mean by that. You know that. But if that's what you're relying on, instead of faith and belief and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have a problem and you don't know it. But thank God for Calvary. And the devil wants to give everybody a, 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 a different way to go. But there is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish up. The devil blinds men as to death and judgment. Sometimes people say, you know, Christians, and by the way, here's a, here's a thought for you. The devil doesn't want you to enjoy being saved. <laughs> yeah, I met some folks that get just enough salvation to make them miserable. Amen. They, they talk about, oh, it's so hard to live the Christian life. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I got to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. How many people woke up this morning in your city and locality with a hangover from last night? You tell me that's fun. Or what about that young girl that wakes up this morning with her head in her hands and says, Oh, God, I pray I'm not pregnant. Or what about that drunkard wakes up and realizes how he abused his wife and his children coming home drunk the night before? You tell me that's joy. You tell me that's worth living for. Thank God I have Jesus, and it's far better. But the devil blinds men as to death and judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, you know it. It is appointed. I like that word. Appointed. Appointed unto men once to die. You have a birthday, right? You have a birthday. But do you know you also have a death day? The birthday we calculate when your life began. But somewhere in the eternity of God's calendar, there's a death day for Dan Sousa. I don't know when it is, but I'll tell you one thing. I won't miss it. I have missed appointments up on earth. Sometime I didn't write down a doctor's appointment, and they come and say, oh, we missed you today. You had I said, I, I did. I, I missed. But you won't miss this appointment. It is appointed on the men who wants to die. For the unsaved, it's a terrible, terrible day. For the Christian, it's twofold. One, thank God I am free from this world of sin. Tell my wife, and the time comes for 
my funeral service, the rapture doesn't happen first, I want the song sung, uh, thank God I am free. Free from this burden of sin. Like a bird out of prison. Like a blind man that found this out. Like a beggar who got riches. I'll be free from this old world. But I'm also going to stand one day before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give an account of this hour and other hours of my life. And so will you. It is appointed unto men who wants to die. But the devil doesn't like you thinking about death. Young college girl said to me, she said, Brother Susan, the thing that frightens me most about death, it's so final. Right. You're not going to get five more minutes. That last breath is gone. You say, Give me five more minutes. Get. You're not going to get 30 seconds. Sealed forever. That is why today we better get on the ball for God. I'm so thankful for your church program. I sat there in, in awe and amazement of all that you have gone on here. Sometimes I got to thinking, I said, man, how could these people ever backslide? They're so busy in church doing everything for God. <laughs> but we better be about our father's business. If you're not involved in some activity in this church, you should be. And I'm not blaming the liberals, and I'm not blaming the modernists, and I'm not blaming all the left-wing crowd for what's in the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light. But our salt has lost its savior. Our light has been diminished, honey. The God of this world. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't want to be blinded by the God of this world. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, and look up at me.